We often think that small animals which lack sharp teeth and claws are helpless and defenseless. But some of God's little creatures use chemical warfare to quickly put their enemies to flight. So watch out! Skunk oil can cause nausea, vomiting, eye irritations, almost like tear gas. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Certain animals with unique built-in defense systems use chemical warfare against other animals and people who they think will harm them. So what are some of these fascinating creatures, and how do they use their chemical weapons? Be on guard for the next 15 minutes as we talk about some unusual creatures that engage in chemical warfare. Hardly anyone's favorite animal, the skunk has a weapons arsenal that, in the end, makes him an object of fear to both man and beast. Anyone who's ever had a close encounter with this little stinker knows the awful misery this critter can inflict. ICR Museum curator Cindy Carlson holds degrees in biology and zoology. She says God gave the skunk this defense mechanism for a very good reason. This little animal, not only is it small, but it moves slowly and it could be eaten by many predators if it didn't have this spray. And this spray is so potent that it'll even chase off a great big bear. The good thing about the skunk and his spray is that he'll warn you before he sprays. First, his tail will go up. And if you're anywhere nearer than 20 feet, you need to start running because then he'll do a handstand on his front feet and he'll spray very accurately up to 10 feet, but then it arcs so it can go farther than that. And then, of course, it enters the air and we can detect skunk spray at two parts per million. So it, there only has to be a couple molecules in the air for us to begin to smell it. And so it's a very potent spray. Dr. Job Martin of the Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution video series says noxious skunk odor is so powerful it can actually make you sick. We've all been familiar with that smell. Some car hits a skunk out there or on the farm and they have these two little glands down at the base of the tail. The skunk oil, they produce this yellow oil, and it's composed of thiols, little, little chemicals, and they form some thioacetates that produce this smell, the stink, if you want to call it that, which is exactly what it is. Well, that can cause nausea, vomiting, eye irritations, almost like tear gas. And it often doesn't take much to set off a skunk. Cindy Carlson learned the hard way to resist the stinkers, even though they're fun to watch. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and, and all throughout North America. Skunks are everywhere. And I was driving home with one of my sons, and in the park I saw a skunk. And so I turned the van to shine the lights on the skunk because I thought, oh, so cute little skunk, you know. So I turned the van, you know, I just turned the van lights. That guy didn't give me a second. Up he went on his front legs, you know, and I knew he'd squirted. And I shut down my air conditioner as fast as I could and closed everything. It was too late. <laughs> it's right. The, it gets into the air so fast. Of course, we charged off, you know, as fast as we could in the van. But the smell is just like, you know, filling the van. Dr. Martin says people aren't the only ones who quickly learn to avoid skunks. He also tells us about a stink removal recipe that can be used in case you or your pet are ever surprised by a skunk. 
if you have a pet that gets sprayed with a skunk, by the way, they only get sprayed once, like a dog. There's very, very unlikely that a dog would ever get sprayed twice because I guess the skunks have other odors involved with them that a dog will recognize and say, oh boy, I better not do that. I did that once. That's plenty. Unless they accidentally stumble onto one somehow. But anyway, this direction said you mix a quart of 3% hydrogen peroxide, that's like you get at the grocery store or the drugstore, just normal 3% hydrogen peroxide, one quart of that with a quarter cup of baking soda, sodium bicarbonate, and one teaspoon of liquid detergent, like you wash your dishes with. And you mix that up, and then you soak your pet in that for about five minutes, and then just rinse it off with water. And supposedly, that is the best that I've been able to find to get that odor out. Sometimes you have to do it twice, but most times it'll take it out the first time. One popular creature known for its chemical warfare tactics is an insect called the bombardier beetle. ICR biologist Dr. Gary Parker tells us about the chemicals this bug carries around and how he uses them. The beetle mixes uh, two chemicals two otherwise kind of ordinary chemicals, uh, hydrogen peroxide, like you use to bleach hair, and hydroquinones that are used in film developing and are fairly common in living things. Uh, but when you mix the two of them together, they form an explosive mixture, uh, kind of like nitroglycerin. If you just mix the two in pure form, they won't actually explode on the spot, but they're ready to explode. All you need is a little enzyme that's present in every organism that breathes air, and it's present in the beetle. And so when you mix those two chemicals in the presence of that activator, that enzyme, boom, off goes this explosion. <laughs> and the storage chambers are attached to some cannons that fire out the rear of the bombardier beetle, but they can also be swiveled to fire to the left, fire to the right, over the shoulders, so to speak, toward the front. And they shoot out hot, noxious gases at the boiling point of water. And this defense mechanism is very successful in keeping the bombardier beetle alive. The enemy of the bombardier beetle would be a frog or a toad. And if one of those guys comes up behind this bombardier beetle, and opens his mouth, gets ready to flip out that tongue, boom, off goes this explosion, <laughs> sending this hot, noxious gas into the mouth of the would-be beetle eater. And the chemical change produces a foul-smelling stuff. This, this gets on nature programs every once in a while. You can see this in slow motion. And oftentimes, you know, after this blast, the frog or toad will be dragging his tongue across the sand, <laughs> both because it's hot, you know, it got stung, and also because it's got this foul-tasting chemical. Because of the bombardier beetle's fiery design, this little insect has become a favorite among creation scientists. Dr. Parker explains. Now you've got another problem for evolution. You know, if you got these two chemicals just by chance without the storage chamber, you know, the beetle would blow himself up. <laughs> but even if you have the storage chambers, you know, that's not the end of the story. There has to be a nervous mechanism. If a frog or a toad comes up behind it and all it knows to do is to spray this chemical on its eggs and it doesn't even try to spray it in the mouth of the beetle eater, it does him no good as far as defense against predators. So he needs a nerve and muscle control over these things. And in fact, he needs an aiming mechanism, a timing mechanism, you know, and things like that. And he needs to make sure that he aims it at the right thing. You know, if another friendly beetle comes along, and boom, you know, he blasts his beetle to oblivion. <laughs> you know, that's not the way to make friends and influence fellow beetles, you know, in a social setting. 
also a lot of nerve and muscle coordination has to be there too. It's a whole package deal that required a lot of creative ingenuity. And trial and error, time, chance, struggle, and death, the evolutionary mechanism can't work. Trial and error never works if the error is fatal. You have to survive at least to try again. In Scripture, we read that God created everything perfect in the beginning. So why would the bombardier beetle need to be armed with such a strong defense system? It really looks like it's designed, but then you might say, well, if God created a perfect world, nothing was eating bombardier beetles. Why would they need that defense? Well, I think originally it was created as a marker. Even today, the bombardier beetle uses that same chemical to spray down the eggs that it lays. And so there's an aroma left around the eggs, and so it's kind of a sign. Don't dig here, I just laid my eggs here. And then later on, this mechanism designed just to mark where the eggs were laid had the additional benefit of protecting the bombardier beetle from would-be predators. The next creature we'll discuss is another little insect with a unique chemical ability. But instead of shooting out hot liquid from its hinder parts, the peripetus shoots out glue from glands located at its head. Dr. Parker explains. It's a little teeny worm-like animal, except it has little fleshy legs with claws on the end of them. Sometimes called a railroad worm because it looks like it has little sections to it and kind of moves along like a train on a curved track. It's an inch long or less, but it has the ability to spit out glue. And so it spits out this gluey stuff. It starts as a liquid, but as it hits the air, you know, it hardens into a gummy net. And so if the peripetus is pursued by some ants or a centipede, something that might want to eat it, it sprays this pasty glue all over it that forms a net and traps and delays the animal that would be eating it and gives it a chance to get away. About the only thing that peripetus glue does not stick to is peripetus. And so it has a special kind of outer layer to its body that protects itself from its own glue. Uh, it can also use that glue in offense to catch something it wants to eat, like maybe a small ant. So in that case, it's chemical defense or chemical offense. Despite what evolutionists say about the peripetus, it too is a testimony to creative design. Evolutionists try to make a case that it's a missing link between segmented worms and arthropods, you know, insect-like animals, because it has a worm-like body with fleshy appendages, and it has a closed circulatory system like worms do, but it has claws and chitin, and it doesn't have any cilia. It doesn't have any of these little hair-like projections on cells, and those are things that you usually find in arthropods, like insects, crabs, and things like that. And it has a tracheal breathing system. It has air tubes with little openings to the outside like an insect does. But it fails completely to qualify as a missing link because all of the traits it has are very complex and complete and highly advanced. And so the tracheal breathing system is very advanced from an evolutionary point of view for arthropods, would not be in a common ancestor. So it's a really a mosaic of complete traits, a special created kind that just exists to show us partly that God can mix and match traits in any combination he wants. 
Dr. Martin would agree, and says the animals with chemical abilities, especially ones that can sting and burn with noxious odors or hot liquids, can be used by God to teach us a very important spiritual lesson. We all live by faith. We have faith in eternal God or faith in eternal matter. And then we look at some of these weapons that are out there in his creatures, and it makes us wonder, okay, did God flip a switch in them, or what happened there, way back there at the curse? But I think he wants us to be reminded of the awfulness of sin, and the fact that these things that these animals have and these insects have, there's a sting, God says, the sting of death and the sting of sin in 1 Corinthians 15, and he wants us to turn to him and trust in his son, the Lord Jesus, and he will forgive us of our sins. And then we have to just by faith say, okay, Lord Jesus, you know what you're doing. You know what you've done. I'm just going to trust you. But in the meantime, we study these things. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.